0: We will be studying Colossians chapter 4 together this morning. And as you're turning there, just one more announcement um, that we want you to be very much aware of. Um, In the Scriptures, pastors are commanded in 2 Timothy 2 to identify faithful men who will be able to teach others and to equip them for gospel ministry. Uh, This this aspect of our role as pastors contributes both to the needs of the local church and to the mission of God around the world. And uh, so we are, in one way or another as your pastors, constantly looking toward and for those that we can help along in ministry aspiration and desire, uh, and potentially as elders and pastors within our own church. And to that end, we have two men who have gone through the Pursue training, a course that we put together a few years back, and who are currently working out and through a careful, extensive ordination process for Sovereign Grace uh, with, for our church within our family of churches in Sovereign Grace. This process uh, includes a tremendous amount of study, character assessment, very challenging exams, all of which are to ensure, as best we can, that our church stays faithful. Uh, to the Gospel and to the Scriptures. Uh, And at this moment, we want to make you aware of who these two men are uh, so that you can be praying for them and that you can be giving to us your feedback, your commendations, your concerns, your questions about them. These two men are Dave Esternell and Rob Arius. These both have proven faithful in many ways in various leadership roles within the church and have been giving themselves diligently to service and to study Uh, and we believe the moment has come to uh, let you know of them and invite you to pray for them and let us know what you think Um, as you do um, just be praying that the lord would be with them as they are going through right now some rigorous examination process and uh, pray that the Lord would carry them through and that this whole process would result in the glory of God. Given their current status, uh, we are uh, putting a, a bit of a label or title on these two men. Uh, calling them pastoral residents. Uh, These are men who are on track toward eldership, God willing, and will be serving in a variety of ways as they proceed. Uh, They'll be attending elders' meetings and continue serving in a variety of roles, Uh, community group leadership, worship oversight, evangelism, the list could go on quite lengthy. We're also eager to update you on a couple more who are being considered for a couple of other roles. We have mentioned Bill Haney as a potential deacon of Sunday Welcome Ministry, as well as Victor and Eileen Coe as potential uh, deacons of Mercy Ministry. Bill has indicated a readiness to serve in this way, and we will be installing him, God willing, as a deacon on Sunday, March the 20th. Sunday, March the 20th. Eileen and Victor are still praying, discerning the Lord's will, so pray for them. And uh, then finally, we are announcing uh, the name of Bill Davis to serve on our pastoral team in a role that we're terming a pastoral assistant. Uh, which, while not a formally uh, ordained role, is very much a significant role. Bill, uh, whose uh, credentials as a faithful man are exemplary uh, and have gone on for decades. I won't say how many decades, Bill, but many decades of faithful service. He's currently one of our deacons, uh, deacon of visitation and prison ministry. He's a member of our advisory council. In this new role as a pastoral assistant, he too uh, will be welcome at our elders' meetings. He will be involved in various uh, elder conversations, discussions, and events. Uh, God willing, we'll be taking uh, regular turns in Sunday morning intercessory prayer, uh, doing public reading of Scripture, providing uh Uh, communion devotionals, and uh, various ways that he will be serving among us. This is an expression of his gifts, an expression of our honor and respect for this brother. Uh, And so, uh, God willing, we will be setting him into that role on the same day, Sunday, March the 20th. So if you have any questions or concerns about these things, please let us know. Our... um, Our our hearts and minds are always open to uh, any input from anyone. And so in response to all of that, uh, may God be praised as he continues to build his church uh, and give us those who are gifted to serve in a variety of ways. And so with all of that, uh, let's have our Bibles open to Colossians chapter 4 as we are in the next to the last message from this book uh, as we open up sacred scripture together. I'm going to begin reading in verse 5 of Colossians chapter 4 down through verse 18, the end of the chapter. Here is the Apostle Paul, an apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ, one specifically chosen to receive inspired Scripture and record it for us. Here are his words to us. (coughs) Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea, and to Nympha and the church in her house. God's sacred and inspired Word, every bit as much as any other part of the Bible, however lofty and exalted those parts may be, this is God's Word. At first glance, we may wonder what we can learn from this text. Seems like it's just a list of names and greetings, but the more you look at it and reflect upon it, you Realize that we can learn how to greet each other. We can learn how to say goodbye to each other. We can learn how to commend each other and affirm each other. And we can learn how to partner with each other. Even this very personal list of seemingly inconsequential names that are tied to an author's goodbye to this letter, this is an inspired, infallible part of God's Word that He intends we learn from. And so this morning and again next week, believe it or not, two messages on all these names, we are going to learn Learn how to greet, learn how to welcome, learn how to commend. This morning, learn how to partner with each other. You'll remember, if you've been here in recent weeks, that we have said time and again that we really can't understand Colossians 3 and 4 without Colossians 1 and 2. In Colossians 1 and 2, the great theme is that Christ Jesus is Lord. He is preeminent. He is first in rank, first in order, first in authority, first in glory, first in every way. And that as The preeminent one, chapter 1, it says that He is reconciling to Himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven, no matter where they are, He is making peace by the blood of the cross. He is reconciling us ethnically. He is reconciling us in terms of gender, economic status, color, culture, condition. It doesn't matter. He is bringing us all back together. That's his aim as the preeminent one. And that includes a lost and a perishing world that does not yet know him, that is alienated from him, that needs to be reconciled And so, in our last two messages from chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, we have seen how God is reconciling the world to Himself through the ministry of men like Paul. But then, as we saw last week, He's reconciling the world to Himself through us. And our speech, and our evangelism, and our witness. And now, we could say in verses 7 through 18... That God in Christ is reconciling believers together in partnerships so that they might reconcile the world to Christ. In this text, we see that the Colossians were not isolated, independent Christians, they were not isolated an isolated or independent church. In fact, in the book of Colossians, there are at least eight churches connected to this book. You don't have to remember these names and these places, but let me just give you the list. The, the Colossian connected partnership includes Paul, who wrote this letter from his sending church, or what was sent out from the church in Jerusalem and the church in Antioch. Connected to this letter is Timothy in chapter one and verse one, who was from a church in Lystra. Then there is Tychicus in verse 7, who was a missionary worker from Asia Minor. Then there's Onesimus from Colossae itself, sent out by the Colossian church. Then there's Mark mentioned, who's a missionary worker from the Jerusalem church. And then there's Aristarchus, who was from Thessalonica in Greece. Then there's Barnabas mentioned, who was a church encourager from Jerusalem, a church planter from Antioch. Then there's Epaphras. Another of the Colossians' own missionaries who served in Colossae and served in Laodicea and served in Hierapolis. Then there's Luke, who is from Antioch, Syria. And then, of course, there's the church of Laodicea. And then there's mention of a church in Nympha's house. At least eight different churches are represented in these verses. What does that tell us? It tells us that the New Testament church and churches were formed a network. They were tied together in common purpose, common mission, common care. And from that, we can learn a principle for ourselves. We, we advance we advance the Kingdom of God by partnering with other churches that are like-minded, Christ-exalting, and Gospel-preaching. We, we can advance the Kingdom of God by partnering with other churches that are like-minded, Kingdom-advancing, Gospel-preaching. You ever heard the phrase, we can do more together than we do alone? What's true of individual people is true of churches as well. In the New Testament, churches were never independent. They were never isolated. They were never islands to themselves. They always saw themselves as being connected to other churches. And that partnership of like-minded kingdom-proclaiming, gospel-heralding churches advanced the cause of the gospel. It is what God used to advance His kingdom. Nowadays, folks, it's, it's very popular to, to denounce and then renounce the church. It's very popular nowadays to say things like, I'm into Jesus, but I'm not into the church. My friends, that is, that is a flat-out denial of the clear teaching of God's Word. It's popular and understandable in certain ways. Because how many of us have experienced what I heard called yesterday, church hurt? We've all experienced church hurt. It was mentioned a moment ago that I'm finishing up 40 years in ministry. I'm here to tell you that church hurt has been with me all 40 years. Sad to say that I've inflicted some of it, and I've received some of it. But I've never had a year, I've never had six months of ministry without some kind of church hurt comes with the faith. Jesus is the one who loved the church and did what? Gave himself for her. The church is his body and his bride. He loves the church. And if I am to be like Christ who loves The church, then what? I must love the church. It is Jesus, after all, who came up with the idea of the church. He loved the church and gave himself for her. Ephesians 5, it is Jesus who organized and established the institutional church, appointing leaders, commanding the initiation rite of baptism and then the ongoing sacrament of the Lord's Supper. It is Jesus who commanded regular attendance to worship and preaching and fellowship. It is Jesus who commands us to support the church and its mission through sacrificial generosity and funding. It is Jesus who created accountability structures and ordained offices like deacons and elders and who ordained even how the gospel is to be passed on to the next generation. It is Jesus who called the apostles to network the churches into an organized, even institutional form so that it could do more together. They could do more together than they could do alone. What I want to do in our time this morning is simply to recount some of the ways that the Colossian church and other New Testament churches partnered. What did they share? Well, first of all, they shared people. We saw this, didn't we? Just in the reading. Paul, Timothy, Tychicus, Anasimus, Mark, Aristarchus, Barnabas, Epaphras, Luke, eight or nine different churches, all pooling their, some of their best and most gifted people for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. We were a part of a Partnership of churches, Sovereign Grace Churches, and one of the benefits of this partnership is that we get to share gifted people. Uh, we get to benefit from them, and if I dare to say it, some of them are benefiting from us. Um, Alex serves on our regional judicial review committee as one of the men who carefully and And reverently and cautiously and wisely help churches work through issues with their pastors and with each other. Pat and Lynn, Paris, we've given them, haven't we, to Costa Rica for a year, a partnership in the gospel. Yesterday I spent six hours sitting with two men along with, uh, on a panel, ordination panel, with two other men, examining and assessing two men for gospel ministry, asking six hours' worth of questions. Search and assess. I got a call the other day, uh, a few days ago now, from a Sister Church in Florida. Uh, The pastor asking if there was any way that I could visit their church in June because he is in need of rest. And he wants me to do the seminar, that my uh, communication seminar, and to preach there uh, to, to give him a chance to get some rest. Um, we are partners in ministry. We share. I wish I had time, but if you want, if you want an incredibly beautiful read, uh, Take some time this afternoon or evening and read Romans chapter 16. Romans 16 gives a list of greetings like this one only about twice as long. It's an amazing read. It's beautiful. It's one of, this may sound strange, but, and it's probably an exaggeration, but I'll say it anyways. It's one of my favorite chapters of the Bible after about 50 others. But let's, <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say, right? Um, it's oh, it's incredible as, as Paul just greets and commends at least 30 people by name and attaches to most of them a descriptive word of commendation for their ministry. Men and women doing amazing things in the cause of the gospel. New Testament church partnership involves the sharing of people. The sharing of people. It involves mission updates. Chapter 4 of Colossians, verse 7. Did you notice this? Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. Then down in verse 9, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Part of the partnership is that we are able to give updates to each other in what God is doing around the world. I was with, like I say, I was with uh, some Sovereign Grace brothers yesterday, and um, one of them has very tight connections uh, to Belarus and and to that area of the world, and so he was able to give me an update, a report on the effect of this war on the Belarusians and on the Ukrainians and even on the Russians themselves. And it was good to hear a a pretty much firsthand or up-close report of what's going on there. The Colossians shared mission updates. They shared Scripture. They shared Scripture. Notice verse 16. When this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. You'll hear more on this next week from our brother Rick. But there are two letters that they were to share, this one and another one. Nobody's quite sure, but the likelihood in my mind is that it's the letter to the Ephesians, which was written at a very sim- uh, uh, nearly the same time. What is significant here, though, brothers and sisters, is that Paul commands that his letters be read. And we're gonna, we're gonna hear about the public reading of scripture next week, so I'm not gonna get into that. But what I want us to make sure that we understand is that what this means is that the New Testament churches shared a common source of truth. They shared sacred scripture. They shared the things that they believed. And in fact, in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. That's solemn. If I ever say that to you about my writings, kick me out. I mean, don't even let me finish the sermon. I would never dare to say I put you under solemn oath to, res- to read my writings. Paul said that. Why? Because what Paul wrote is what God inspired. Paul's words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit were God's words. Right down to the words we're looking at here today. And they shared a body of authoritative truth, the scriptures that they were obligated to give their faith to and their obedience to. They shared labor. Notice verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, Concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And in verse 13, it says, Paul says of Epaphras, I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you don't know if you knew this or were aware of this, but part of the calling of the Christian life, whether you're a Paul or whether you're a Tim Shorey or whether you're anyone sitting in any of these pews here, when you come to faith in Christ, you come to serve Christ and His church, and that includes hard work. Hard work. It is not an easy path. It is, it is not a lazy path. It's hard work. Faithfulness to Christ in his church is hard work. And may it be that what Paul wrote of the Thessalonians, he remembered their work of faith and their labor of love. May that may we be known for that. We are a hard working, hard working congregation. Putting heart and sweat and into the work of the kingdom of God. No matter who we are. They shared labor. They shared sufferings. Verse 10, Aristarchus was a fellow prisoner. Verse 13, Epaphras worked hard and struggled for them, agonized, literally the Greek says in prayer. They shared encouragement and comfort. Verse 8, I have sent him, Tychicus, to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And then he speaks of others who have come to serve him. And at the end of verse 11, they have been a comfort to me. Christians need comfort. Encouragement, don't they? Churches need encouragement. One of the great values of partnership is that we can encourage each other and we can encourage other churches in the Lord. They shared kingdom mission and ambition. Verse 11, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. What are you about in your life? What's your ambition? What drives you? What pushes you? What invigorates you? What ignites you? These men, they were ignited with this ambition, the kingdom of God, to see it proclaimed, to see it advance, to see it increase, and then to see it consummated in the return of the king himself. They shared prayer. Paul prayed for them. They prayed for Paul. Epaphras prayed for them. Everybody's praying for everybody. Got a notice this week from a sister church in Gilbert, Arizona. They just wanted to let me know that they prayed for Risen Hope Church last Sunday. They they prayed that we would become established in our new building, that we would see our mission expand in our county, that we would experience unity in the church. They prayed for us. What a great blessing. The Colossians shared welcome and hospitality. Verse 10 Paul says about Mark, when he if he comes to you, welcome him. Welcome him. That's New Testament language for hospitality. If you read the New Testament and, and read the details, you see that there were people coming and going, people being sent out and received all the time, and hospitality and care and sending people on their way with all their needs was just a, just an everyday part of New Testament church partnership and life. And it manifested uh, in ways as big, if you read Second Corinthians 8 and 9, when there was poverty and a great famine in Jerusalem, many churches organized in order to provide relief for the poor and the needy and the hungry believers in Jerusalem. They shared their homes. They shared their resources. They shared their finances. They were an active, meaningful, generous partnership with each other. They shared greetings. I'll let Rick expound that next week. They even shared, I I need to add, messy imperfections. It's important to notice um, that in this particular case, as is so common throughout Scripture, these, these partners in faith and heroes of the faith had some serious issues. They weren't perfect men and women. Paul and Barnabas are named. Many of you will realize that in Acts chapter 17, Paul and Barnabas had a serious argument that led to a division in their missionary team. Mark is mentioned here. Mark was at the heart of that argument between Paul and Barnabas because Mark, on a previous missionary journey, had quit halfway through it out of either fatigue or fear. We do not know. Um, But he had failed in his first missionary effort. Then there's Demas mentioned here. What you may not know is that Demas eventually abandoned the faith entirely. The Laodicean church is mentioned. If you know the letters to the churches in Revelation, you realize that this is a church that before too long became very lukewarm and neither hot nor cold. And uh, what's all that to mean? It means that there are gonna be imperfections in every church. If you haven't noticed it here, stay here for another 20 minutes. There will be serious imperfections among us, serious sins. Church hurt is not something new, It's been around since the dawn of the church. Don't be surprised by it. Don't be shocked by it. Be grieved by it. Be honest about it. But don't be shocked or surprised. And please don't run because of church hurt. Enlightenment is not in seeing, oh, there's church hurt. Enlightenment and love is saying, yes, there's church hurt, but there is grace that is greater than the hurt. And we need each other as a church, and we need each other as a family of churches for all the imperfections and the challenges that it may bring. These are all the things that the Colossian church shared with other churches This is a rather, in some ways, this isn't an elevated, exalted, soaring sermon. It's just kind of dealing with almost the logistics of, the the makeup of, the network of kingdom work. This is how God wants it to go forward. Not just you sharing the gospel with somebody, but you and us doing it together, and not just us, Risen Hope Church, but us in partnership with other churches, despite imperfections and flaws and failings along the way. And so, for those that don't know, we are a part of a partnership of churches. We are happily a part of Sovereign Grace Churches, uh, Fellowship of churches that is somewhere around, I think, 85 or 90 churches in this country, and soon to be a couple hundred churches around the world, um, as God, in his mercy, expands the work as we partner together. Why are we a part of this? I could give you a lot of reasons. Uh, Let me give you a few real quick. Um, One reason is because pastors like Alex and Rick and I and whoever else God raises up, we need encouragement. Just being honest, we need, we need other pastors to strengthen our hearts and our hands. I did 20 years of ministry, the first half of my journey in an independent, isolated church with no affiliation No network whatsoever. I can tell you this, I would not be standing here today were it not for God's mercy in the partnership with Sovereign Grace. They lifted my discouraged and disheartened heart. Our church wouldn't exist without Sovereign Grace. Guests may, or newer folks may not realize this, but we are a daughter church of a Leading Sovereign Grace Church, Covenant Fellowship Church in Glen Mills, who, by the way, has planted more than 12 churches. And in doing that, has given away literally hundreds, if not thousands, of church members and many hundreds of thousands of dollars toward the partnership of Kingdom Advance. We wouldn't have this building if not for Sovereign Grace, generosity and help in getting it. Sovereign Grace offers us a like-minded network with shared common creed. I encourage you to go to our Sovereign Grace website and um, read the Statement of Faith. It will bless your heart. Sovereign Grace is a huge vision for the world we get to be a part of it, of it through our giving and prayer and active relational care. We, right here in Risen Hope, we have made commitments to churches all around the world that we are committed to following through on in prayer and giving and service any way that we can. We have shared core values with Sovereign Grace. We, You, we have pastoral accountability through sovereign grace. We want you to know that if we as your pastors um, sin egregiously, and if we fail miserably, and if we are failing to preach and proclaim the truth faithfully, you have recourse. There are people you can call in sovereign grace and, frankly, report us so that we can be examined and, and we can be tested. I like having that accountability. I thank God for your sakes that Rick and Alex and I cannot chart our own theology or do our own thing. We are accountable and you have recourse. Our partnership provides pastoral development, ongoing equipping. Our partnership models values like humility and grace. Our partnership, Sovereign Grace, has a proven history of learning and growing in areas where maybe they've been weak in the past. thinking about theology, I'm thinking about preaching, I'm thinking about global missions, I'm thinking about uh, commitment, to ongoing, increasing commitment to uh, racial harmony conversations and understanding uh, that I'm hearing among the pastors and their churches. My heart is encouraged by the growth that's happening and I'm glad to be a part of it. We, we as a church and a couple of us pastors were teasing yesterday about uh, what the words ending in closing means um, at, for a pastor at the end or near an end of a sermon. Uh, and in closing, and they go on for 25 more minutes. Um, <laughs> that will not be me. In closing, hold me to it. Accountability. In closing. As your pastors, we are committed to strengthening and enjoying this partnership so that we can be used by God to reach as far into the world and across the world as we possibly can. We can do more together than we can do alone. To that end, we want to encourage that our congregation build relationally with sovereign grace. There's another event coming up. Life Together Conference on May the 20th. You will see posters and notices of this in the weeks to come. May the 20th and 21st, the Life Together Conference. What it looks like it's going to be an annual event at Covenant Fellowship Church. The theme of this conference is going to be Shaped by the Heart of Christ, we're going to focus on the importance of cultivating lives and churches marked by humility, joy, gratitude, encouragement, generosity, care, servanthood, and godliness. Wouldn't you like to be a church marked by those things? This conference is going to aim to equip us and teach us to that end. $10 per person. I think you can handle it. If you can't, let me know, and I'll open my wallet uh, to a certain point. (laughs) There will be wonderful singing of brothers and sisters from 10 different churches. Our gospel praise team is going to open up the conference that Friday night and lead the worship. It's gonna be some wonderful teaching. In the main sessions, I've been asked to do a breakout session on the need for humility in the pursuit of racial understanding and harmony in the church. We want to pastorally ask, ask with earnest heart that you set this time aside May 20th and 21st, and let it be, perhaps for some of you, an introduction to our partnership of churches. For others, a deepening and a strengthening of that partnership. Uh, What is this all about? It is about having a faith and a vision that are bigger than our own individual lives, or even the walls of this church. This is about having a vision to make a difference in the world through partnership, even as the Colossians in their young, young church made a commitment to partner with others to advance the kingdom. May God give us faith to do it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we have but one highest allegiance, and that is to Jesus Christ the Lord. Our highest allegiance is not to any church or group of churches. Our highest allegiance is not even to ourselves. Our highest allegiance is to the Lord Christ, who is preeminent above all things and is reconciling all things to himself. And in that allegiance, oh Lord, we want to be found faithful, humble, godly, and we want to be found in partnership, doing the hard work of gospel ministry side by side with one another and side by side as churches committed to this singular ambition to declare the Lordship of Christ everywhere in this world. Would you please, Lord, give us faith for this and commitment to it. And Lord, as we process and review and pray and apply these things. May your grace be with us. May your strength empower us. May your love fill us. Keep us, O Lord. Uh, Watch over us until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Amen.